Well, if you weren't awake before that soundtrack came on, you are awake now. Good morning, Victory Midtown. Are y'all glad to be in church this morning? Come on, I already feel it through worship. It looks like y'all came to worship God and to bless each other in community. I'm so glad to see each and every one of you. And before I kind of jump into the message, I want to just shout out a special group of people. I had an opportunity uh, at the end of worship just to kind of go out there and wave and say hello. Ushers, can you open the doors real quick? Can the overflow make some noise out there for a second? <laughs> Y'all heard them. Can we do this for the overflow? Can we make some noise for the overflow? Amen. 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 God is continually uh, adding to the church, and we're thankful that we have an opportunity to come together and worship God in this fashion. Listen, as Pastor David said, uh, this is Small Group Sunday. My message today is not particularly related to small group, but I just want to say this is something that's very near and dear to my heart, to Kendra's heart, because we believe that problems are solved in community. We believe that the answers to a lot of our prayers, as we're answer, asking God for things, a lot of times the answer is sitting right next to you, standing right next to you, but a lot of times we walk past it operating in individualism and we can miss it. And so I want to encourage you at the end of the message today, at the end of service, just to go out, stop by. Some of you not only need to take the extra step and join a small group, some of you need to do what? Y'all are reluctantly saying this. I'm not saying it. Some of y'all need to lead a small group, start a small group, because we want to make sure that all of us are blessed and staying together in the things of God. Amen? Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I said this in the 9 o'clock service, that I am extremely glad that we're in this series called Trust Fund. The reason being because as I uh, interrogate myself and as I meditate on these things, I believe personally, and I've said this before, that you cannot speak effectively, preach effectively, communicate effectively something that you have not first ingested. And so as I'm taking this in, as I'm studying this, God is radically changing me, challenging me, shifting me, and you'll hear even some of that today. But I believe that many of you, I'm encouraged because you've been coming back, and I want to just do a poll by a show of hands. Who's been here for at least two of the messages in the series? Some of y'all were scared. I'm not going to lie in church. Many of you. And I've been hearing the testimonies over and over again about how we've been now diving into this subject, not just about money, but about finances, about stewardship and doing money God's way. Say this with me. Say, I want to to. do money money. God's way. way. Say it one more time. Say, I want to to. do money money. God's way. way. Some of my English teachers in the room, even my wife, she's a professor by trade. She's like, that is not proper English, but y'all know what I mean. As we're in this series and we're talking about money, finances, and stewardship, I believe that it's empowering and that God wants to challenge us. And today, as we continue this journey, we're continuing along this place of talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And we've said from the beginning of the year that this particular sermon was Jesus' most influential sermon that he ever preached. So much so that he dealt with all the necessities of life, meaning that if you can get the things he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, you will never be lacking because he covered all the bases. And he took a shift after he started talking about prayer, after he started talking about, you know, really seeing God in the order that you should, and he started talking about money. Why did he start talking about money? He talked about money because he knew then, as we know now, that money is very tied to how we operate. Money, a lot of times, will actually dictate how we operate. And so I have some major keys that I want to give you today, and I'm going to jump right into it. As we look at our focus passage for today, uh, out of Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 25. 
Now, I want to caution you. I don't want you to read too fast today because God is going to speak to us very intentionally in a lot of moments. And so turn to your YouVersion Bible app, look at the screen, or look at your physical Bible right now as we start together to read this first slide, this first passage in Matthew chapter 6. On three, let's read how it starts off. One, two, three. Therefore, pause. I did that on purpose because a lot of times what we do is we rush past the Word of God. And many times, each and every little word is packed with revelation. Whenever, this is a little secret, whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the word, therefore, you need to pause for the cause. The reason being is because this word, therefore, is a conjunction. It's a transitionary word. And what it's doing, it is carrying you into something, making sure that you know what happened before that something. And so as you're reading the word, if you ever come across and you hear someone say, therefore, I bust the windows out your car. (laughs) You need to pause and figure out what did you do before this to get your windows busted? Y'all following me? So when we look at this, what we do is we need to make sure that we understand what was the this before this therefore. And what Jesus did in the six verses that we've spent the last three weeks in is he really ramped us up to get us ready for what we're going to talk about today. And so for a quick review, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Verse 19 says it like this. It says, Jesus is saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've talked about this before, and I want to say it again, that we've taught that every one of us has a telos. Say telos. It's a treasure. It's a direction in which our our lives are being directed based on what we treasure the most. And so when we know this, we know that our treasure is influencing, watch this, every single decision that we're making. Believe it or not, the decisions you're making, you're not just making them because you woke up that morning and said, oh, I want to do this today. The decisions you're making are coming as a result of what you said and what you set your heart on. And so we have to be careful because a lot of people, not you, but the person sitting next to you, What they will do is if they're not careful, they will store up a whole lot of treasures here, meaning they will like to accumulate a lot of things right here on this earth. But what we said is that as a believer, YOLO is not your portion. You don't just live once, and because you don't only live once, what we need to do is make sure that we are people who raise our eyes above the fray. We have to be people who are focused on doing things that will have a heavenly result, not just an earthly result. And so we talked about this, that your home is with God in heaven. And as a believer, we should have a different perspective in how we spend our money and how we use our money and how we see money at large. And so we're storing our treasures in heaven. And then we talked about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, we said, the lamp of the body is the eye. This is Jesus again. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
We talked about the fact that this was a popular Jewish saying at the time, that if you had a good eye, that means that you were liberal, that you were someone who was to bless. That means that you were open to the things of the Spirit, and you were able to follow God's promptings. You were a generous person, but if you had a bad eye or an unhealthy eye, we said that you're stingy, you're tight, you're only thinking about us four and no more if you're even thinking about them. But as we looked at this, we talked about the fact that all of us with a good eye, we need to be people, as Peter and John did at the gate called Beautiful, we need to be people who pause, who look, and who act. I know I've said this before, but I need us to get, us, get it in our spirit. Say this with me. Say, I pause, I, pause. I, look, I look, and I act. I challenged us that we need to pause, look, and act. And we talked about the fact that the church is growing. You see it, that we need to make more room in here. We've taken more space next door to build it out so that we can serve more people. And because we are a people who are following that good eye, you guys responded after I said, we need about $80,000 to do this. And one week you did that and fulfilled it. Give God praise for yourself. And so when we are able to do this, God is saying, If you can be open with a good eye, I know that I can get it to you because you allow it to go through you. And last week, we covered this very misunderstood passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Some translations say you cannot serve God and money. We even grouped in there that he also is talking about possessions, fame, status. As a matter of fact, anything that's valued and put above your value of the Lord. And so it's easy to fall into the trap of actually serving these things even without knowing it. Because the spirit of mammon we described, it really wants you to actually worship accumulating things over trusting God. This spirit wants to control you and wants you to depend more on this than God being your source. And what we stated at the end of service, I believe we broke some strongholds and some people are still being set free because we said the way that you break the stronghold of the spirit of mammon, I said this, money is not evil, it's neutral. But the spirit of mammon that is sometimes behind money is one that if we are to keep God first and if we put our money first to God, then we're able to break that stronghold. Somebody say amen to that. And so with all of that that we said, This brings us freedom as we start to think differently about money. So, because home is heaven and I'm storing up there, because I have good eyes and I'm generous, and because I don't serve money or mammon, but I serve God, now, therefore, we can continue in this verse of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore, I say to you, do not what? Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by what? Worrying, can add one cubic to his stature. So why do you about clothing. Let me just pause real quick. Jesus is already starting to say, hold on, you need to fix your mind. You need to fix your perspective because apparently there's a whole lot of worry going on. He goes on to say, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not saying what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Here's a scripture that we always just focus on and just pick out. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I believe I have a good class. There was some common denominator going through all those verses of scripture. It was the word And so as we look at this, we need to know that God is really trying to get us a signal, and that's the name of this this message today, do not worry. Somebody say, do not worry. Do not worry. As we look at this passage of Scripture, it's given us a lot of keys. And in a nutshell, what we're saying is that because now that I've been born again, because I've begun seeing and handling money God's way, I don't have to worry about my life. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things to worry about in life, and a lot of times they're surrounded, connected, tethered to, in some way, form, or fashion, money. And you may be saying, well, I don't know about that because, you know, at least I'm trying to do things God's way. At least I'm starting to tithe. At least I'm starting to give of an offering. At least I'm trying to be generous. But why am I still having some stress that's related to finances? Do I have anybody that would bear witness with that in the room? Can I get an honest church today? Here's the thing. Worry is not just for the people that have a little bit. Worry, it actually is alive on all ends of the spectrum. You can be one who is living paycheck to paycheck, or you can be one who has a whole lot of money in your account. One way or another, you are always concerned about if the bottom is going to fall out. Even those with a whole lot of money, with what seems like unlimited resources, the stress that keeps them up is that they get up every day checking that account. Get up every day watching the stock market. Get up every day seeing how their investments are yielding dividends because I know that in one swoop, everything can change. And the reason why we have to look at this, the reason why so often we still, even knowing the word, we still have anxiety, we still have pressure, we still have stress, is because I believe God, through Jesus, is still trying to show us some major keys through this passage of Scripture. So I want to jump right into it. I want to say this. God does not want you to worry. Can somebody receive that? Say, God. He doesn't want me to worry. Come on, say it with your chest. Say, God. He doesn't want me to worry. So how, if he doesn't want me to worry, how do we close the door on worry? Let me tell you. I have a couple things that I want to share with you. Number one, we have to change our language. We have to change our language. How many of you would say, you know, you've seen an ad of something on TV, on social, you've been driving and you see something, you're like, I need that. I've been looking for that all day. I've been needing to get that thing. Or you're talking with your small group. You're at lunch with somebody. You're you're at the gym working out with someone and y'all are talking about this particular thing, this product, this particular uh, action that you need to take with something. And then lo and behold, as soon as you look down and start scrolling, it's right there on your phone. Some of y'all are like, look at God. The Lord is my shepherd and he knows what I want. 
Let me say this. Let me give you a, a little secret, a commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. That is not God. That's AI. As a matter of fact, that's a trap. Somebody's listening to your conversation. Let me just digress. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, we will think something like this, and one of the factors that keeps us in worry is that we oftentimes don't distinguish between what's a want and what's a need. We will say things like, I need that, because it actually fits or fills something that we have a void in. But I want you to hear this very clearly. Needs are not wants, and wants are not needs. Can I say it one more time for the left side of the room? Needs are not wants, and wants are not needs. I want you to get this so clearly that I want to be very elementary in this moment because I want to make sure we're all starting from the same spot. When we think about this, the word need is defined as a requirement, as a necessary duty, as an obligation. All these things are needed for life. But when you shift over to wants, you will see that a want is defined as a wish, as a crave, as a demand. Watch this, as a feeling or a desire. Those words are sensory words, things that make us feel a certain way or emote something as we get those particular things. And here's what I want us to know as I talk about this very soberly today, is that we have to be very careful that, that we don't assign dire need to something that was simply a surface want. We have to be very careful that we don't assign dire need saying, I have to have that thing when it really was just a want. Let me make this practical. We will say things, especially when the new drop for the iPhone comes out, we say, I need that phone. That one extra camera gave a little bit more of a megapixel that's going to be needed for my uh, social to blow up. I'm an online entrepreneur. If I don't have that, I will not make it. Let me ask this. Will you still be breathing if you don't get that phone? Will you still be okay if you don't get that phone? Or we'll say, I need that model of sneaker that just dropped because that's this year's version. I can't wear last year's version. Let me ask you this. If you don't have those shoes, can you still walk it like you talk it? Can you still make your way along? Will you still be able to move around and, and do the things that God calls you to do? Or we'll say things like this. I, I think this is for some people in the room. You'll get to a certain level in your job or in your career, and you say, okay, now I have to get that car. Because that particular car, it's like my validating statement that I, I've arrived. I've made it. Once you get to this status, you can't just drive anything. You need to pull up right. Let me ask this. What's wrong with your old car? Do you have to get a new car every three years? Do you have to be on pre-order for the car that's coming out in 2026? <laughs> Listen, I'm not hating now, but I want to make this plain. Because there's nothing wrong. Hear me very clearly. Y'all know me that have been here for a while. I like nice things. I believe nice things are okay. But we must make sure that we put nice things and wants and desire in the proper perspective. We have to acknowledge that there's a whole lot of things that we want but there's very few things that we actually need. And if we're not careful, we will, again, we will assign dire need to things that were really just surface wants. Let me say it like this. To be very direct, if you need it, you will die without it. But if you want it, you'll be okay even if you don't have it. How many of you, you missed the sale, you, you didn't get picked and say, you got them? 
and you still were good. We have to take that mentality on everything because a lot of times what we do is we put unnecessary stress on ourselves by something that we simply just want. Here's what I'm saying. As we change our language, as we open ourselves up, we have to make sure that we don't run the risk of erroneously interpreting God's word through the filter of our wants. Because when we do that, we put undue pressure really on ourselves. Because I want to read this powerful verse of scripture that we even read already, but I want to kind of lift it up for a moment. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus says this again. I'm going to read it very slowly. He says, therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you what? Need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Listen, this is such a powerful verse of scripture. It's so, uh, you know, embedded in the life of a Christian. But I want to propose that a great deal of people have unintentionally interpreted Jesus' words through something that fits our wants instead of what he was really trying to communicate. When we look at this, it says, if I seek God, he'll take care of these things. But many times we read it like this. If I seek God, he'll take care of everything else. We get a bucket list and we think he's going to take care of every desire, everything that's happening. But when we really look at this, Jesus is trying to communicate something very specific. So you're not wrong that when you read your Bible, when you go to small group, when you come to church, that God, as you seek him, he's going to fit your needs. But you have to make sure that you look at what Jesus was specifically saying. When he says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, we need to ask ourselves the question, what are these things? Somebody said, what are these things? I'm going to tell you. As we look at this, he says, what you eat, what you drink, and the clothes you wear. He says, the things that you need are what you eat, what you drink, and the clothes on your back. Because your heavenly father, listen to this, he knows what you need. Say need. Need. And this is why we can confidently echo David when he says, I have been young. And I've been old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for what? Bread. He's talking about food. He did not say, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for a Lambo. (laughs) Or his seed begging for a penthouse unit. All those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But make sure you're not seeking after that thing more than God wants you to seek after what you need. Let me, let me say it like this. The reason why I'm stressing this, and I have this commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, I got a few commercials for you today. God never promises to meet all of the wants. He's saying, if you will follow me, I am one who can open up things for you in a way that you won't have to ask me for certain things that you actually need. He's saying, I have promised to meet all your needs not all your greeds. And immediately I say in the spirit that some of you, as I just made that statement, something came into your mind that you either recently bought or it's in the shopping cart right now. 
And so I'm not trying to meddle, but I want you to not harden your heart because what we're doing is we're saying we're going to recalibrate to make sure we are not people who are so consumed with our wants that we miss the very thing that God is saying to us. Here it is. Wants and, and, and the things that we actually desire are directly correlated with our emotions. I said this earlier. And so what we need to know with this is this. It's in your notes. Just because you feel it doesn't mean God is obligated to fulfill it. Just because you feel like I want that thing or I feel like I need that thing. He's saying, I have desire that you know that I'm going to feel your eating, your drinking, and your clothes. But all the other thing is extra. And so this understanding, what it should do, it should shift our, our outlook on what he's saying. Because what we'll do if we're not careful, we will start to justify. And we'll start to look at God and say, well, I was at prayer. I went to a small group. I signed up. I did everything. I even hosted. I went to church at least two times this month. You ought to applaud me for that. But what we'll do if we do that, we'll say all those things and say, God, why don't I have the G-Wagon that you promised me? You promised to outfit me in a wardrobe of Gucci. No, he didn't say that. And again, I like those things. We like those things. But how many times have we elevated those things over our vision for what God wants us to operate in? If we're not clear, what we'll do is we'll overextend ourselves and we'll start to blame God for not fulfilling promises that he never made. And when we do this, God is looking at us like, keep my name out your mouth. I told you I was going to fulfill your your food. I told you I was going to fulfill your drink. I told you I was going to put clothes on you. But all these other things, I never promised to fill every want you have. That's all the stuff that's now on your bill that you are responsible for. Because he's saying to us, I can even bless you with money to provide for some of those wants. But the way and the reason why we actually get stressed is because of how we spend and because of the decisions we made. One more time, needs are not wants. And wants are not needs. I need somebody to say it one more time because I need to make sure y'all stay with me. Say needs are not wants. Needs are not wants. And wants are not, needs. wants are not needs. So we have to ask ourselves, could I begin to pause? I think Pastor Johnson said this in the first week. Could I begin to pause right before I actually make a purchase and say, do I really need this? Am I really going to wear this this year or is this going to be sitting at the back of my closet until I get that one thing that I'm going to go to? And now I've spent $150 on something that nobody's going to see. Number two, somebody said, quit meddling and move on. (laughs) Number two, we have to embrace this dirty word called contentment. Embrace contentment. Because of the insatiable nature of the world we live in, a lot of times what we do is that we tend to identify as needs, again, those things that are just wants. And what I want us to learn is that, yes, God provides for what we need, but we put our energy into going after what we want. Can I give you a couple examples real quick? When we talk about needs, a need is I need calories in my stomach. But a want is I'm going to eat at Nobu. (laughs) A want is I'm going to eat at Bone Steakhouse. Nothing wrong with it. A need is that I need water for hydration, and I need to make sure that I'm actually fulfilling my body with those things. But a a, a want is I can only drink Pellegrino. (laughs) If it's not Pellegrino, I can't have it. It cannot touch this mouth. Listen, a need is that we need to have clothes on our backs, 
But a want is, if it's not Christian Dior, I can't walk out the door. And I'm giving examples of these things just really to put us in the mindset of knowing that there are a whole lot of things that we consume ourselves with that are simply just wants. If we're sober, we'll start to realize this because God is saying, hear me, I'm not saying that you can't have these wants. But what I'm saying is that the pursuit of these wants is where worry comes in. Not the stuff we need. The pursuit of the wants is where the worry comes in. Why? I can say that confidently because God never rebuked David. God never rebuked King David or King Solomon as the Bible records that they were some of the richest men to ever live. But he did tell them they need to seek first things first. Can I get a little lean in on this second service right here at 11 o'clock? Come on, lean in with me. Lean in with me. I got this revelation, and it's a deep revelation. I believe we all need it. But here's the revelation I need you to grab. There is always Always, there is almost always a time where something new is going to come from something you think you need. Let me say it one more time. There is almost always going to be something new that's in the model of something that you think you need. But if we don't actually put things in proper perspective, we'll jump to every single thing that looks like a need. And God said that was simply a want. Because if we don't get our wants under control, what we'll do is we'll be upside down and we'll be overstretched. And God is saying again, I'm going to keep saying it, I never told you to do that. Here's the thing. This word that we're talking about and the way that we get rid of worry. Do y'all want to know how you get rid of worry? Let me ask this side of the room. Do y'all want to know how we get rid of worry? The way we get through worry is by applying this word called contentment. Contentment. Some of us have never even heard of contentment because it's not even in our vocabulary. But it's defined as this even from Webster's Dictionary. Contentment is the freedom from worry or restlessness. It is peaceful satisfaction. Let me say that one more time. It is the freedom from what? Or restlessness. It is peaceful satisfaction. As we look at this, we need to actually take another look at a very familiar passage of Scripture that sometimes is misinterpreted, and Paul speaks to this for us and gives us a guide. Let's turn to our Bibles in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the part that we just kind of grab and pluck out. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I want to teach you something today. We have to be careful to slow down and read the word because what we do is we often apply this particular scripture to football games. You see people putting Philippians 4.13 on their face or on, on their arms and all these things. We say Philippians 4.13 when we're trying to go get that job, we're trying to do certain things. Nothing's wrong with applying the strength of the Lord, but that's not what Paul is talking about right here. Let me mess with some of our modern-day theology just for a second. Paul is actually saying, I actually have the strength from the Lord to be poor. I can be poor through the strength of Christ who gives me strength. Why am I saying that? Because don't you know that just because you're not financially in overflow, that does not mean you're not blessed? 
And I'm saying that because we need to kill that in the church, that even if you don't have certain things, you're still blessed. Because if you can breathe breath in right now, you are blessed. If you can take a step or roll yourself forward, you need to say, I'm blessed. If you have something to eat, even if it's not the grade A Wagyu steak that you want today, you need to say, I am blessed. Somebody say, I'm blessed. We have to pause. Look at these things. Listen, because Jesus modeled it. Jesus and the disciples, they were the most blessed to ever walk the earth, but they didn't go from town to town carrying around their chariot with all their stuff. But what we'll do is that we will equate blessing to just having numerical amounts of things and money. When God is saying, you even can be poor, you can even be a base, you can even have a down season for a moment, but you're still blessed. But I don't want to stop there because some of y'all are like, I don't like this gospel. (laughs) At the same time, Paul is saying, Christ also gave me strength to be wealthy. He gave me strength to know that when I'm down, that does not make my identity. I had a conversation with somebody in the lobby after the 9 o'clock service. They were like, that set me free because I used to be someone who was always on top. I used to be someone who all, everybody looked at me as having the thing. I used to be someone that people looked at me for success, but I came on a bad season, and now my identity was attached to that. And we have to be careful in this modern-day world where everybody wants to show you their filtered version of their success and be able to say, I don't care if I'm down, I don't care if I'm up. This money does not make me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to either be up or down. What he really was saying is that I have the strength from the Lord to die to my flesh. I have the strength of the Lord to say no when I get the notification, another drop is coming. I have the strength of the Lord when someone offers me this opportunity that I know is going to take me out of the will of God, but it's going to give me four more figures on the end. I have the ability to say, no, God, you give me strength. Somebody just needs to lift their hands right now and say, God, give me the strength to say no to the wrong things. That's a real moment. As a matter of fact, I want to pause for a second. Because I'm feeling that, that a lot of times we're navigating through things and we have traded in discernment for someone telling us you can make more, thinking that's what we're supposed to go. So can we lift our hands right now? I just need to pray for you and hear those online and those in the overflow. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are giving us the spirit of contentment that you're allowing us not to follow what man says is success, that we're not following what will actually trip us up in the long run, but you're allowing us to see you with clear eyes. You're allowing us to discern and know that you've given us strength to be abased and you have given us strength to be abounding. And so, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that every person that will have an opportunity to come their way this week, they will have discernment to see what is for them, what's not for them. And they will not grow weary, even if they feel like they are giving up something, because as they give it up now, they're sowing seed for a comeback later. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God praise for that. Here's the thing. I want to actually give you a practical tool to start living in a direction of this place called contentment. This scripture that I want to read to kind of set it up is Psalm 25, verse 12. This concept that I'm going to share with you is what we call here at Victory called the the living in the circle of blessing. Psalm 25 says it like this, verse 12. Where is the man? Where's the woman? Where's the man who fears the Lord? God will teach him how to choose the best. 
He shall live within God's circle of blessing, and his children will inherit the earth. Here's what it looks like. We have to be a people, and I'm going to show you something that I want you to exercise even today, and it's in your YouVersion Bible notes so that you can save it. I want to put this first graph on, on the screen. Here's what the circle of blessing is. We have to be people who say, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to write down all the things that I want, all the things that I desire. I'm going to offer those up to the Lord, and I'm going to allow God to filter that thing. But here's the thing. I want you to dream big. Because I remember when Kendra and I first heard this concept years ago, I told her, I said, well, I have a big imagination. I have a lot of things that I desire that I want, and I want to set somebody free in here. God is not mad that you have those desires. But what we're doing is we're saying we're going to actually make sure we put some guardrails on these desires. And so you put these desires, you put these wants, you put them on a sheet of paper, and you circle that. You put a circle around them, and what you're saying right there when you circle it is you're saying, this is enough. This is enough. And when you go from here and you fill this circle and God starts to bless you and you start to really gain in your finances and in your influence, what we need to be careful of is that as our finances grow, now our wants and desires don't grow with that. Not saying you can't have other things, but you have to manage it. Go to the next slide. Because what we're doing with this next piece is we're putting a boundary line around here. And this secondary line is the margin that you have between what you want, what you desire, and your ability to bless. But what happens so many times is that as we start making more money, we start buying more stuff. I used to operate on this level, and I would just be happy to have this type of apartment. But now I got this. Oh, I need that extra square footage. And we have to be careful that as we look and make more money, that we now don't squeeze out the ability that we have to bless people. Amen. To be a conduit of grace. To be a river, not a reservoir. Because if we do that, go to the next slide. What we'll do is that now our wants and our needs will just continue to expand and expand and expand. And then now we're swiping everything. Now we're putting everything on credit. And now when we want to be a blessing, we have very little margin for it, which takes us to this next slide. Where now my wants and my needs in that dark space used to be a small part. Now it has now grown and overshadowed even my ability to bless, which means now I'm overstretched and I'm, I put myself out there too much. I'm in too much debt. And what happens with that is that now you're now anxious when somebody talks about tithing. You're anxious when somebody talks about being generous, but you're like, don't you know that I just ate ramen last night? Here's the thing. If ramen is your choice and ramen is what you can do, that's okay. But we should put ourselves in a position that we have not squeezed out the ability to be able to bless somebody. But so many times, I would say this, and I believe this for this campus, for this church, for Victory at Large, is that many of us are not able to be as generous as we really would like to be. Because when we hear the call for something, that anxiety gets us and we're like, I don't even have any more room. I don't have anything to give. Why? Not because God put more on you than you can bear. But because we picked up certain things that were our desires, that were our wants, and that were optional. And so the world culture, what it will do, it wants you to live in that fourth slide. It wants you to keep on buying everything. 
It wants you to not say no to anything. It wants you to make sure, even like I told y'all last week, I had to put a cease and desist on my own self and say, stop buying golf shoes today. Because you can easily justify that I need something because it's available. Can I say it like this? Just because the money is in an account does not mean it's in your budget. And so as we grab this truth, we have to be people who don't operate in an insatiable nature that the world culture says. We need to shift to walking in a kingdom culture, and the gift that the kingdom culture gives us is this, godly contentment. Say this with me. Say godly contentment. This brings me to the last thing that I want to share with us today about how we close the door on worry. We have to trust God as our provider. Simple, but not easy. Truth, but sometimes hard to do. And today, as I've navigated and, and walked through, through this message today, Jesus, what he's doing, he's actually giving us an invitation to bring our lifestyles back under control. These lifestyles that he's trying to bring us back into control are, they're lifestyles that are not overshadowed by worry because of overextension. And as we look at this, because sometimes we have overextended ourselves, We've taken ourselves out of the realm of what God has promised and now saying, now that bill is on me. Honest question. Have we ever been in a situation where a month later, somebody might say two minutes later, you bought something? It's like, I know I shouldn't have bought that. Because the emotions and the adrenaline of getting that thing actually uh, dwarf your reality and what you know God is actually saying to you to be responsible. As I was thinking about this and we were talking about our simpler lifestyle, what we're saying is that the lifestyle of worry comes from the American view of always needing more. But what we need to also know is that this worry is the thief of peace and it robs your ability to be generous. As I was thinking about this message, even as I kind of wrap this up, I started thinking about our son Maximus. Our son is two years old going on 21. He's very clear about what he wants. He's very clear about what he doesn't want. Today, uh, we tried to put him on some matching shoes with his outfit. He said, I want to wear these rain boots that have lights on them. We said, go ahead, bro. <laughs> do what you do. But one of the things that I have learned so much in being a father now for two plus years is that I wanted to be very intentional about, in a sense, operating with an understanding for him in a double entendre, meaning there's two meanings. I wanted to give him an example of the love of our heavenly father while also him knowing that his earthly father loves him. And so what we would see, he's at the age now where he can just come out of his room and he can come in our room and he would oftentimes, in the beginning, come and start crying immediately and saying what he needed. And what he would do a lot of times, he said, Daddy, I want milk or I need this. And I would always say, I got you. I got you. And what I would do intentionally is I would look at him and say, I got you. And I would say, you know, Daddy got you. He would say, Daddy got me. And so one of the greatest times of my life in the last month was about a month ago where he came out of his room. I met him at the door. I was like, we need to do some other stuff over here. I'm going to meet you at the door. And I saw him and he said, Daddy, I need milk. And I said, I got you. And then before I even looked up, Kendra was over there. And he said, Daddy got me. And I'm going to tell you, a little tear shed. <laughs> a little tear shed, why? Because in that moment, I realized that he knew he didn't have to ask his father for what he needed. Now, there's some other things that he wanted that I did not give him. 
But in that moment, he understood that I have everything that I need because my father is going to make sure that I'm provided for. How many times have we cried like a baby about the things we want? And God is saying, I gave you what you needed to eat. I gave you what you needed to drink. I put clothes on your back and I gave you shelter. But too many times what you're doing is you're dismissing that and you're looking and focusing on the things that you want. I got news for some people in here today. God wants you to know without a shadow of a doubt that he's got you, that you're covered. But we have to be very careful not to put him in a position to pay for something that he never promised. Today, I want to let you know that God is not trying to take away your enjoyment. He is not trying to have you where you're operating in a vow of poverty. What he's trying to do is take away worry from your life. Because worrying about tomorrow is stealing the very life of today. Let me say this as I close. One of the reasons why we worry a lot is because we're thinking about the stock market. We're thinking about politics. We're thinking about stuff that goes on because what we're saying without saying it is that I have to watch all these things because if one thing changes, we all going to be homeless. And so we have to be careful not to put ourselves so dependent on debt, so depending on overextending ourselves, that when something changes in the job, now you are depressed because how the market goes, you go. How your bank account goes, you go. And that's why we have to know that God, Jesus, he says, don't worry about those things. I have you covered. One of the things that I feel like we're going to really see when we get to heaven, and it's going to embarrass us all, is how much time we wasted because of the time we spent worrying. And in this moment, I'm praying right now that even as we sung this song, Lean In, that we get a recalibration in our priorities that we understand that Jesus came to take away worry and he gave us this understanding that he is providing for us. And I want to say this, as we said, it's small group Sunday. This is not a small group word, but some of us, as we recalibrate and as we pray and as we seek God, for some of us, after you vet a person, you need to get in a small group. And for some of you, you need to say, in this season of my life, I need to downsize. I might meet someone in small group that we need to actually join together as roommates because I thought I needed that amount of square footage, but I'm only home about two hours of the day. And so here's the thing. As God prompts you, as you pray through this, let's be those who understand that God is sending us answers each and every day. He's sending us answers through the series. He's sending us answers through small groups. He's sending us answers through budget coaches that we have available for you today, financial classes that we have available today. We're not just preaching the word. We said we're going to be doers of the word also. Amen? And so here's the thing I want to close. I want you to bow your heads. I want to read a scripture over you. Because I believe we need to make sure that we don't just stop at believing in God, which is saving faith. We must believe God, which is trusting faith. As God says he loves you, the Bible says in Psalm 121, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber, and indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber or sleep. 
The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life, and the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. With your head bowed, I want to just pray over us. Father, right now, we say we want to be delivered from worry. We say we are those who can admittedly say that we have chosen some things that were not in your will for us to choose on ourselves. And right now, God, we say we know that your promise is true, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you will provide what we need to eat, what we need to drink, and what we need shelter in. But Father, many of us in this room, if we're very honest, we have put you on the hook for things you never promised. And so right now, can we just lift our hands right now? Father, I pray for a deliverance from the spirit of worry. I pray that stress won't be our portion. I pray that arthritis and cancer, ulcers, heart attacks that have been looming because we have financial worry and we have put ourselves in certain positions, that they cease and desist even right now. Father, I pray right now that as we put you in proper priority, we are saying that we need you and we trust you. So God, right now, in the name of Jesus, reclaim us. Allow us to be in the proper position of how you set us out to live. And in this moment, we'll just say we trust you and we lean into you. And so as you sit there, even now, whether you want to keep your hands lifted, whether you want to stand, I just want Pastor Carl just to, to minister over us right now because some of us need to ask God, where have I stopped leaning into you and I've stopped now taking on this burden in myself? So he's just going to minister over us right now. I want you to pray and ask the Lord to let you lean fully into him. One more time, I lean in. Say it with them.
Father, I pray right now that as we release worry and we close the door on worry, you made a way for us not to worry about tomorrow, and that is through contentment and trust. But you also made a way for us not to worry about eternity, and that is through salvation. And so, Father, if there's anyone in this room right now that says, I must trust in the Lord, that I've been living in my own power, I've been living with my own understanding. But right now, I not only want to just have trust in you in this earth, but I want to have trust that if I was to die today, I would have eternal life with the Lord. If that's you in the room right now, can you just wave one of your hands at me? I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I see many hands popping up. Let's pray this prayer together, Victory Midtown. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins. And today I choose to trust you. I choose to repent, which means I'll turn away from my idea of doing things. And I will trust your idea and turn towards you. Today, I rejoice because I will call you my Savior and I will call you my Lord and I will live for you. And from now on, I can confidently say that I'm a child of God and my eternity is secure. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Can we put our hands together all over the room? As a matter of fact, can we just stand to our feet right now and give God praise if we say we're not going to be those who live in worry? Come on, it's okay to give God praise in this moment. Some people just gave their lives to God. Some of us just got delivered from worry. I believe that even some things that were coming to attack you because of stress are now null and void in Jesus' name. God bless you, Victory. I love you.